me. Hi, I'm a Maria, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I'm going to um, start us off today in step 10. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, a little bit of, you know, the ninth step promises uh, before I start. Um, in, when, I, when I got into my ninth step amends, it took a lot for me. It took a lot of swallowing and digesting some big chunks of truth about myself. And uh, when I finally started that process, um, and mo it wasn't even for me, but mostly when I'm working with other women, I'm realizing now that a lot of people fall out at step nine. It's very difficult to remain in this program um, with, with that um, momentum that we came in with, you know. Um, but I re also realized that I personally, when I need to make amends, which I just had to do a big one this week, um, for a new, fresh new hurt, harm that I caused, I needed 10 and 11 to give me the juice to get behind step nine. So where we left off last week, that it says here um, that in step 10, the thought brings us to step 10. What is that thought? Well, the thought is that I'm in my nine-step amends and I'm looking forward to these promises. So on page 84, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests that I continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. Those are the skills that I've been learning in step four and also in step nine. It says we vigorously, vigorously is a very important word. Vigor means with a life force behind me. I've got to get, I can't saunter, I can't fart around. I've got to get these amends going, right, with God, right? A lot of it is driven by God, my higher power. But how do I do that if I'm not in 10 and 11 getting my marching orders from God, staying unblocked, right? I'm going to come up with fear about doing an amends. I'm not going to be able to do the amends, right? I have a fear prayer, but am I really sharing that with somebody? Am I really uncovering it and getting rid of it? Overcoming fear is what the book calls it. So as I'm vigorously commencing this way of living, um, I do it as I clean up the past. That's as I am making the amends, right? So that clears up a lot of issues for me. I can't wait and get into a step 10 practice when I, and, and wait until I'm finished all my amends to do that. First of all, I'm not gonna have the juice to get my nine done and I'm gonna reaccumulate debris of self. That is really what happens to me when I'm not in 10. So I liken it to my step 10 is like top dusting. I don't have to spring clean every week. I can spring clean once a year. But weekly, I'm going to probably do some, you know, some stuff. Daily, I need to do some stuff. So I'm going to do the spot check inventory of step 10 as I clean up the past. It says here, I have entered the world of the spirit. This is such a great line. Remember, in step two, I realized that I was blocked. I have God in my life. Maybe I don't. But I personally did have a God of my understanding but I couldn't access him because I was blocked by a lot of fear and a lot of resentment. All of a sudden now, as I'm cleaning up, digesting and swallowing big chunks about my tr myself uh, in four, and giving these character defects away to God in six and seven, going and cleaning up the past with my fellows in eight and nine, I am now open, I have opened up the door 
The spirit of the, the world of the spirit is now, I have access to it because I'm unblocked. What a beautiful thing. My next function, now that the door is open, it doesn't mean I'm in. I get to stay here. Look at me, right? My next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. What am I trying to understand? I'm always trying to understand God's will for me. Also, God's will for others doesn't align up with my will for them. So I'm trying to understand this, but I'm also trying to grow in effectiveness of what? My effectiveness, how I work, how well do I work 10, 11, and 12, and how effective I am, am I in teaching others and, and getting them to reproduce this amazing spiritual experience? It's going to give me a very lazy, unmotivated woman, you know, in a lot of ways, not in all ways, but in a lot of ways, some direction here. It's going to tell me that it's not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. Now, I'm a real great sprinter. I'm not a marathon runner, right? So I'm going to have to do this for the rest of my life, one day at a time. What am I going to do? I'm going to do everything that my guide or sponsor, whatever you want to call them, is teaching me how to do. And I'm going to do it with practice. At my home group, we read the 1940 AA preamble. And there's a great line in the preamble that says, um, I don't, I'm not going to know by heart, but I'm going to give it to you uh, as I remember it, is if I practice four through nine with some diligence, it will become a working part of my mind, and then the help rendered will become natural to me. Wow. Okay, so I'm not really making this happen, but I do have to do the practice of four through nine. It starts becoming a working part of my mind, so it's getting easier. Every, every time I do it, it gets easier and easier. I see myself clearer and clearer, and then it starts to actually happen to me. There's a line later on that says, um, um, the problem has been removed. It does not exist. Wow. I want that. Kim's going to go over those promises. So I'm going to, what am I going to do? I'm going to do step four. A little mini step four, because I, now I know how I've shown up in my fourth step. Chances are that's how I'm showing up when self rises all the time. It's a good pattern. It's human nature, and mine looks real specific, as, as yours does too. But I'm going to continue to watch for the things that I looked for in my column four. I'm going to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Okay, now I know how to watch for them. What does it feel like? I am very visceral. I know what it feels like. I'm going to start feeling restless. My restlessness looks, feels like I'm a caged animal. I'm pacing. I'm looking for something to get into, right? My irritability is, very, is undeniable. I can't even look at you. I want to scratch your eyes out. Even your breathing is annoying me, <laughs> right? And then the, the, the discontented is the worst part for me. The discontented is I get what I want and it still is not making me happy. I've got this insatiable hole in my soul and I think I'm going to fill it with food or alcohol or shopping or sex or something. And I still, even the stuff, a car, you know, a new kitchen towel, anything, <laughs> and I'm still not happy. Right? So this restlessness is, is my physical being. This 
irritability is my emotional self, and this discontent is my spiritual malady. So all three sides of me, something's going on. There's a, for, there's a disturbance in the universe, Maria. You're not right, right? That's really firstly <laughs> my, first, my first indicator. I can take my temperature. I like to do this before I eat every meal. I'm a compulsive eater, so I don't want to go into a meal eating, you know, hangry. <laughs> I don't want to be angry or resentful or, or worked up in a fear. So I like very, very simply, let me take my temperature, get quiet, pause, do the sacred pause. Let me check in with myself. Do I have any outstanding resentments, any selfishness, any dishonesty, any fear? Then it tells me what to do when they crop up because they're going to crop up. It doesn't say if, it says when. I'm a human being. I'm studying for an A, but I'm probably going to have to settle for a C or a D, God forbid, and then I, I got cleanup to do. So what am I going to do when they crop up? The only thing that I have to do is acknowledge it and ask God for its removal. And for me, it's real simple. I, I like to be, keep it light with my higher power because the minute I start into remorse and self-pity and beating myself up, I'm, I am attached to my thinking mind. That's all ego-driven, and I'm not useful to God anymore. I'm just all about me. So what I like to do is I like to laugh with God, and I go, God, did you see that? I did. Please take that away from me. Maybe I'll say a version of the seven-step prayer because I can't really discern anymore what's good or bad. I go, God, if you need that, you can use it to your ability, but if, you, if it's not going to help my fellows, please remove that from me. And I have just taken step six and seven, just like that, right? You notice I go to him first. The first step is when, it, when they crop up, I go to him first, okay? Then I'm going to discuss them with someone immediately, okay? I really like to discuss with people and tell them myself, these for these things because if I don't I start acquiring a very great sense of wellness in myself and I will deny that I'm human I'll deny I have character defects I'll rationalize why I did that thing but if I can stay in some kind of relationship with other recovered men and women I can use them to be my compassionate mirror and they can show me you know like first of all it's not to beat myself up. It's just to say, all right, I'm not as well as I think I am. I'm still human. <laughs> <laughs> so I discuss them with someone immediately. This immediately thing people get really twisted about, um, I can tell you this. The longer I'm around, it feels like as long, even if I shoot out a text really quickly just to get it out of my thinking mind and let somebody in on my life, Pick up the phone when I can. Now people work, people busy. A lot of people don't pick up the phone. I know who my go-to people are. I really do. And I've built that whole foundation in the tools that were given to me in OA in the very beginning. So in the beginning, I'm reaching out. I'm, re I'm, I'm creating these relationships because later on, I'm going to need you. <laughs> as soon as I get into 10, I'm going to need you, you know? This is not, it's, it's a, definitely a we program. I can't do it by myself. So I discuss them with somebody immediately, and then I make amends quickly if I harmed anyone. Let me tell you, I would sit on an amends for a long time before program because you didn't admit wrongs. That meant you were weak, 
It meant it, it gave somebody an opening. They can attack you, right? When I learned how to do an amends in this program, I can take that into my daily life immediately. I know when I'm wrong now. Sometimes, I, sometimes it'll last until my nightly review when I see it, and I have to clean it up as soon as possible. But most of the time, because I've gotten into this and it becomes a working part of the mind, I, I can feel it immediately, and I stop, and I go, you know what? That was wrong of me. Can you forgive me? so much easier to clean it up in real time than to wait. So much easier. Because when I'm waiting, I'm building up my story about why I'm right. I don't need to build up anything. I know when I'm wrong. Wrong is wrong. And I've seen it over and over again as I have my ass handed to me <laughs> over and over again. Um, the most important part of this is this is done quickly. It could take me a five, ten minute conversation with somebody it could be five, ten minutes before I eat my meal, or as in real time, I'm continuing to watch and wait. But I have to resolutely turn my thoughts to somebody that I can help. Why do I do that? Because when I resolutely turn, that means this issue is done, I have been forgiven, I have cleaned up my past, and I'm ready to move on. Put me back to work, God. I'm on your team. If I do not do that, and I want to keep on revisiting it, replaying it, now it's becoming a bigger resentment. I'm not useful to God or my fellows. Can't do it. Can't do it. I've got to turn my thoughts. This is the biggest problem. I, I have sponsees that call me every day with the same repeat offense. And it's, it's almost like, well, how, what's it take? It takes what it takes. But I can tell you that if you're not resolutely turning, this is going to come back, right? You're still, why are you not ready to let God heal you? We can go into some set-aside prayer. God, let me see the truth about this. Let me, for, forgiveness work is really important, right? I have to forgive myself first before I can be forgiven, right? I got to forgive you before God forgives me. All that goes into spiritual um, principles. But, you know, I, I have to resolutely turn. And when I do that, I am restored to sanity, I can be temporarily insane during the day. And this is my ticket back to sanity. This is what reopens the door to my spirituality. I can, I, the door can close because I got you know, resentful and, and fearful. And for me, I just want to be connected to God and my fellows today. I, that separation for me is very painful. So um, it says love and tolerance of others is our code. And I have a friend in program that calls it her DNA code because if I am born of love in God's image, then I can be returned to that, right? I've stepped out of love, probably in judgmental thinking because that's where Maria lives. I love to make judgments all day long. And that is not loving, right? It's just not loving. So I have to be returned to love hmm. and tolerance, and then there I go. I'm back, I'm, I'm back into connection, connection with God, connection with my fellows. You can see that this is like really a nice way to live because I'm not accumulating a lot of debris with a need for a fourth step every week where I have to talk to my sponsor for like three hours because I'm so overwhelmed with all these things, right? I just clean it up in real time, clean it up in real time. Um, These two steps, 10 and 11, are so interconnected for me 
that it's hard for me to separate them and stay in my lane. But I talked to Kim about it, and she said it's okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say all right. All right. She said it's okay. So uh, ten and eleven, I cannot. They cannot be used with my cognitive mind. I've got to be using these with an awakened spirit. Uh, therefore, I cannot jump into a step 10 if I don't even know how to make an amends in 9. I've never made an amends in my life, or I've never even seen myself in column 4, uh, or my third column, or my fourth column. I don't know how to do a turnaround. I don't know my sick man prayer. I don't know my fear prayer. How can I possibly live in these promises, which are the real promises to me, neutrality, right, connection, conscious contact, if I'm not doing this with an awakened spirit? And I need this 12 steps to awaken my spirit. All day long, this step 10, step 10 and 11, because step 10 is in 11, you'll see it when it comes up, uh, is alignment of the will. Alignment of the will. I like to get off track. Uh, Thomas Merton has a beautiful prayer that says, I'm, I'm a sheep and I like to get lost and, and caught in the brambles. Right? I need to be pulled back all the time. Alignment with the will. Alignment with the will. And how I think of that is if I'm a rowboat and I'm in a big sea, because the world is a big sea for me, I'm, you know, just a little me, right? I need to be tethered to something greater than me. And that line better be taut. Because the minute that I have too much slack, I'm just going to be tossed and turned like a lunatic. I'm not going to have any kind of grounding or bearing. I'm coming up with the terms I'm coming up with the directing, the plans, and there I go playing God again. My whole problem, selfishness and self-centered. First we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, in this drama of life, I'm going to let God be God. Right? So that tight, tight, uh, firm alignment of the will is, is how I stay connected. How I say, all right, God, you're, you're the ocean. I'm just a wave. I'm a big part of that. I'm a co-creator with my with with my higher power, but I can't get it twisted and think that I'm the ocean, you know, I'm the bigger part of it. Um, so alignment of the will, and there's a little acronym that you can use for step ten. It's watch, ask, discuss, amend, and turn. You know, um, I'm going to watch for these things. I'm going to ask God to forgive me. I'm going to discuss them with somebody. I'm going to amend them by asking forgiveness, and then I'm going to turn. Um, my biggest fear has the loudest voice. So in during the day, when I'm checking on myself, I want to check in for the critic. She's real loud. She loves to tell me that I'm not good enough. She loves to tell me, you're alone. No one likes you. You're insignificant. I have to look for that. That is a wrong judgment, wrong thinking. It's dishonest and delusional thinking. It's not true. But if I'm not watching for it, she creeps in. She likes to set roots down. Now, I can't really stay in that too long, so I'll start pointing the finger at you guys. <laughs> so I have to look for that too. My judgmental thinking. Who am I picking on? Because now it's not, only, it's not only that I'm not good enough and I'm going to be alone, and I'm not, and I'm insignificant. Now it's you guys. You're not good enough. Look at you. I have to be careful, very, very careful of judgmental thinking. It's my wrong thinking. So I faced in, and I got rid of some of the big chunks of truth about myself in four through nine. Now I'm practicing it in ten every day. The door is open. My job is to keep the door open. 
to stay in that world of the spirit. When the door closes, it's because I'm not awakened. I fell asleep on my watch. Ooh, and I do it all day long, right? I think I'm awake. I'm sleepwalking, but really I'm, I'm asleep spiritually. It's because I'm not aligned. I'm identified with my mind. I've got to get out of this identification with mind. My feelings are not facts. Just because I think it doesn't mean it's true. And uh, this is the real work of the program. I feel like everything before this has just given me the ticket in the door, really. And 10 and 11 are, are going to allow me to stay in the game. And 12 is what he's getting ready for me, getting me ready for from the very beginning. So really, 12 is just ground zero. <laughs> but 10 and 11, man, that's, this, is, this, is, this is where it's at. This is my relationship. I don't know about you guys, but my relationships are usually made up of how can I get you to like me so I can get what I want. Once I get what I want, how do I, can I, are you easily get, I mean, is it easy for me to get rid of you? I don't want to have any kind of obligations, right? That's a relationship in my life for a long time. I saw it in my sex conduct, right? Not only with men, but with other people too, friends, jobs. So now I'm learning how to have a relationship with God, and there's none of that. I'm in it for the long haul. I want to be tethered. I'm not looking for what I can get. I'm looking for what I can give through him. He does all the work. That line in the fear prayer is so beautiful. I let God demonstrate through me what he can do. So he's getting us ready for something big. And I don't know what it is every day. I just live a life of invitation. And I learn how to do that in step 11. So I'll wrap that up and hand it over to you. Okay. Hello, everyone. Again, my name is Kim, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Hey, Kim. And I'm going to go over um, the 10-step promises and warnings, which is the promises are at the bottom of 84 into 85, and the next two paragraphs are the warnings. And... Uh, you know, I think to myself, I love the simplicity of the big book. It really is basically every step kind of is a series of prayers, actions, promises, and warnings. So if we do the prayers, if we take the actions, if we check, you know, a kind of a barometer, are we feeling those promises, and then are we heeding to the warnings, we're going to be okay. So kind of what Maria was saying, in 1 through 9, I become unblocked, and in 10 and 11, I stay unblocked. So um, I kind of think of it like going to nursing school. You know, if I go to nursing school and I pass all the classes, take my boards, get certified, but I never go into a hospital, do I really feel like a nurse? Because I've never actually instituted the skills that I learned. So four through nine is wonderful. It helps get us unblocked. But if we don't implement it in 10 and 11, what's the point of doing, doing the work otherwise? You know, so, so that, to me, that's why it's so essential. I mean, when you think of step three, turn my life and my will over to the care of God as I understand him, I don't know how to do that at step three. At step ten, we do. We now have learned how to do that. The question is, are we willing to do it? And if we do do it, um, these promises, you know, I have to say, you know, most 12-step programs, but I know most of the rooms I was in for many years, we always read the promises, you know, which were the ninth-step promises. I never, in fact, it's kind of funny because, you know, I didn't, I had no idea they were associated with the steps, but the big thing when I came in was to do a 90 and 90. So when I heard before you're halfway through, I kind of thought you would get those promises at day 45. <laughs> you know, kind of made sense to me, math, divide 90 in half. Um, 
But I have to tell you, these 10-step promises, I wish these were read more in meetings because this is about the food. This is letting me know I'm not going to have to be ruled by food all day long. So it's, you know, the bottom of night 84, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. And I love how it says dash even alcohol. It's like, it's like food is now an afterthought because the allergy is not being triggered. I've done the work. And what I find out is my real problem is me and my self-will. And if I cultivate this 10-11 practice, I'm not in that bumper car type of relationship I had with the world where I was constantly banging into anybody. And if I'm able to stay contently abstinent, then the, the food's not even going to be on my forethought. Now, it also does say we will seldom be interested in liquor. It doesn't say never. You know, for me personally, the red flag or whatever you want to call it is smells. I do not notice smells. When I start to smell stuff... My immediate thought now is it's not the allergy. I haven't ingested anything. What's going on in my spiritual life that I'm starting to notice smells? And that's where I, it reminds me to get back into 10 and 11. Um, if we are tempted, we recoil as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. We'll find that this has happened automatically. So the way that I always describe this is, is, is for many years in OA, what I would do is I would put down the food and I'd face the food and I'd fight the food. You know, I would go to the 90 and 90. I would try to get the, you know, the, the, the rock star sponsor. You know, I remember one time getting, like, you know, really cool Tupperware, and that's going to keep me abstinent. And, like, you know, I'm always trying to, like, look at, like, how I could control the food. What happened when I was defeated, when I was really licked, was I put the food down, and I faced the solution, and I ran at it. And I still got a sponsor, still got new Tupperware. You know, like, I, still, I still did all those things, but my focus was on the solution, and then well, after I went through the process, I turned around and I said, oh, my God, I'm not thinking about food. So it felt automatic because I was no longer focusing on how I can control the problem, but how can I obtain the solution. Um, we'll see that our new attitude towards liquor has been given us without any, without any thought on our part. You know, I always think of, uh, you know, two different scenarios, um, and Halloween is coming up. And, you know, Halloween was always torture for me. I mean, it's the beginning of the, the season as far as I'm concerned. But I would buy it six weeks out, eat it, replace it at five weeks, replace it at four weeks, replace it at three weeks. And, you know, I lived in a condo um, at the time, and no kids came to my condo. But I would sit there trying to white-knuckle it until it was appropriate for me to turn out my light, you know, so that I could then have all the, the candy. And God forbid some kids did come, they would get the crappy candy. And... uh I remember after, you know, going through this process, I'm like, Halloween is cool. Do you know kids get dressed up? I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, I, I mean I'm at a house now, and kids come to the door, and they see the excitement of the kids' faces. I, I would go over to my friend's house who lives in Medford in a big neighborhood, and I'd sit out there with the candy on my lap. My friend would be having a glass of wine, and, we'd, and you know, all the kids would be coming up. And I had no idea. So it's like my attitude towards food now is so different that I get to enjoy holidays more. You know, I, you know, I used to call Thanksgiving Turkey Day and thought it was funny. It's because the Thanksgiving was about the food. Now it's about giving thanks for my family. So my whole attitude towards liquor has been changed. Um, it, it just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, nor are we avoiding temptation. Once again, you know, my program was based on, based on avoiding people, places, and things. Avoiding my triggers. That's a miserable way to live. What I realize is just as in Bill's story where it says that alcohol was his master, food was my master, that food was making every decision for me, whether I was not eating or I was abstinent. Because if I was eating, then I would have to hit all the fast food restaurants on the way to, the, to work. And if I was abstinent, I'd have to avoid all those places. It's letting me know here, I don't need to avoid temptation. 
you know, I, I want to quote unquote check my motives. I'm not, you know, like for example, all these like home parties. You know, if I go to like Pampered Chef or Dove Chocolate, is that really even fair to somebody? Because I'm not going to buy the products. But if somebody I know who I haven't seen in a while is going to be at that party, of course I'm going to go. I'm not going to avoid um, going to like a, a bridal shower. But, you know, with the food, maybe I'll eat beforehand and, you know, if it's not at a, at a meal time. So I still take care of myself. But it's now, I, I don't have to avoid any of life situations. Um, because I'm, because I'm a compulsive overeater, I often use this um, this example too. I'm a very you know pale person, obviously, but I burn very very easily. Like I have had sun poison more times than I can tell you growing up as a kid. And when I go on vacation, I have to pack suntan lotion like SPF 50. I have to make sure I have a baseball cap. I have to um, I bring aloe in case I do get burnt. And I also have a lot of times have to pack a lot of food to make sure that I know what restaurants are around. I am not angry or resentful that I burn. You know, I don't have Maria's Italian skin. I don't get angry at Maria because she's got great Italian skin. I just accept that's who I am. The same way I accept that I am a compulsive overeater and I have limits and boundaries around what I can do with my food. No resentment, but I acknowledge that fact. So I can do that into neutrality. I can go on vacation and enjoy being out in the sun because I take the protection I need to enjoy myself in the sun the same way that I know what parameters I have around the food. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's that feeling of neutrality. You know, I often use the other one. I, I love showers, love showers. I, I mean, I live alone, and you would think 15 people lived in my house because I had, like, three shampoos, three conditioners, three body washes, <laughs> you know. But I tell you, 10 minutes after the shower, I don't think about it. But the next morning, I love getting up and having my shower. It's the same thing. I enjoy my food. I see so many people that try to make their food as shitty as possible, thinking maybe that won't, they won't binge on it. We're, there's nothing wrong with enjoying your food. I enjoy it. But I don't think of lunch 10 minutes after I eat lunch. I don't think of dinner 10 minutes after each dinner. That's what neutrality can bring you. I'm not fighting it. Um, position neutrality, safe and protective. We have not sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. I mean, that's... I didn't know that was possible. I really thought that, you know, the best I could do many times was just to, to be able to white-knuckle it my way through the day and go to bed exhausted having thought, okay, I beat the food one more day. I have not had that experience in seven and a half years. I mean, I was, I was abstinent for six years. Um, I, I struggled like the first year or so I was in a way, and then I had a six-year stint that I was um, abstinent. And it was better than being in the food, don't get me wrong, but I felt every minute of it. Like, when you t asked me how long I was abstinent, I could tell you down to the hour, you know. And now when you ask me how long I've been abstinent, I have to kind of do some calculation to, to, to kind of remember. And I have to tell you, too, I don't even know my abstinence date. I have no idea. What I do is I use January 31st because I got injured. I, 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 I got injured on January 9th. I had my surgery on January 10th. I remember the first couple of weeks when I was bedbound, I was binging my brains out, and I had a temporary cast on my leg. Sometime after... I had my permanent cast on was when I gave up. But it wasn't about how many days I had, which was every, I always knew it, you know, how many days I had. I just gave up. So I just used the end of January because I know it was before then. That's a miracle to me that I don't have to know my abstinence date because that's not the point. The point is I'm free. The point is I'm recovered. The point is I don't have to worry about, worry about that anymore. Um, instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. 
and once again, this is this is my personal experience. But I was in, in in the Howl rooms for many years, and I would get up in that sponsor line on Friday night, and I was so fucking so 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 cocky. Like everyone should want me to be their sponsor, and everyone should have my food plan, and you guys should all be looking at me because I'm a size two, and you guys should love me because I'm a size two. You know, I mean, I, it, it was so cocky. <laughs> Or I was sitting there going, oh, my God, I'm one bite away, I'm one bite away, I'm one bite away, oh, my God, oh, my God. That, that, that waitress, she tried to put bread on the table. She can't put bread on the table. If she puts bread on the table, what if that smell comes in and out of that? I mean, I was just, I was just a bag of nerves. I am no longer that way. I am co not cocky or afraid. I have neutrality. I can go to any restaurant and be okay. I really thought, I mean, I use this example, too, like, I... You know, I lived at home till I was 27, and I, I think I mentioned it last time I was here, but I had a bubblegum pink bedroom with holly hopper furniture, and I'm in my mid-20s, okay? <laughs> and every Saturday night, you know, I would sit in my bedroom, and I would eat, re read romance novels, and I would eat my brains out because I was too fat to go to the clubs. I, I was too embarrassed to go with my friends to all the clubs. You know, I come into Overeaters Anonymous, and I get abstinent in how, and I, you know, I, I'm able now to afford a, a, a apartment because I'm not spending all that money on binge food, so I can now afford an apartment. But every Saturday night, I'm in my apartment reading romance novels and just not eating because I'm terrified to go out in public. I'm terrified to go into a restaurant. You know, I remember my, my um, sponsor was trying to get me to go to restaurants. I was terrified. I really thought people were going to try to poison me. Like, I didn't trust what anyone did. I was, I, I, what, I, what I'm saying is I made my life just as small in recovery as it was in the food because I was t constantly on guard, which is exhausting, an absolutely exhausting way to live. So that is our experience. That is how we, um, that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual conditions. So they're starting to move us in now into the warnings because if I don't stay in fit spiritual conditions, that thought will come back and that thought will take me down because I have no mental defense against that first bite, and I will be eating again. So as wonderful as those promises are, and this is what I personally do, when my sponsees get to this place, I ask them to call newcomers and tell them what it's like to have experience these 10-step promises because we need that in our fellowship. We need, we need people to understand that there is a way out, there is a solution. We don't have to live in misery in the food, and we don't have to live misery in, the, in, in, um, in abstinence as well. So I, I, I encourage everyone, all my sponsees to do that. So now as we transition, I'm just going to mention one thing, too. I forgot to mention in the beginning. But kind of, Maria, kind of mirroring what Maria was saying, this is kind of my experience. Um, is I start to clean up these step nines, right? And I immediately get into step ten. I'm not waiting until my, once again, I, my prejudice, okay, if step nine is there, I can't do my step ten until I finish step nine. No. As soon as I make an amends, I'm, I'm working this skill set vigorously. So as my nine is being cleaned up and I'm starting to get grounded in step 10, suddenly my nines dissipate because if I'm jumping into step 10, I'm not causing harm, so I don't need to do as many amends. Now what happens is I get into step 11, which we're going to discuss next. If I am doing a morning practice, if I'm doing an evening practice, if I'm pausing throughout the day, I'm not having to do as much step 10s because I'm not getting disturbed as much. But I have to tell you, I also unravel the same exact way. So if I let up on my step 11 life, Oh my God, those, start, those step, step 10s start popping up because I'm starting to get disturbed. And if I'm letting up on my step 10s, those step 9s start popping up because now I'm causing harm. So that's a way for me to take my spiritual temperature. Am I heeding these warnings that they're telling me that I'm going to go back to the food if I don't do this? 
Um, so it's letting me know. It's easy. It's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. And our laurels are our past achievements. You know, um, I, I do a lot of speaking, and I, and I remember a speaker saying this in AA, and it really hit me. If I can only share about a spiritual experience from three years ago, I'm in big trouble. Because that means I'm resting on my laurels. If I'm not having a current example to share with you about an amends or about some 10-step or 11-step work, I'm leaving myself vulnerable to picking up. Because I'm saying, you know, that another cute saying is, I can't get um, clean on yesterday's shower. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I never woke up on a Monday morning after a good binge and thought, I'm good till Thursday. You know, I had to eat every single day. But yet, I often would wake up on a Monday and go, wow, did some neat step work yesterday. I'm good till the weekend. That's not the way this disease works. And it's easy. And what I found, and I said, once again, my old ideas is I thought that people picked up because of a death, a cancer diagnosis, something bad happening. What I find more and more is people are picking up when things are going well. Because you see, if things are going well, meaning I'm getting my way, that's what going well means. I don't need God. I don't need to do step work. So I have seen sponsees meet that guy, and by their wedding, they're in relapse. I have seen sponsees that wanted to adopt, and now that they have this child, they're, they're in relapse, and they're, they're telling me how they are, can't wait to get this kid, that they prayed to have a child, and finally are adopting, and they can't wait to get the kids to take a nap because they want to be alone with their food. So they're not enjoying it. So that's why I think it's easy, because it's so easy when things are going our way. We don't need this work. Who needs a higher power? When I'm, when I'm in pain, when those big things happen, that's when it's easy for me to do step work. It's those little things, personally, that always tend to take me down. It's that old AA joke, you know, when, when a normal person goes out and their car's got a flat tire, they call AAA. When an alcoholic goes out and finds a flat tire, they call suicide prevention. Like, that's me. I catastrophize everything. Um, it says we're headed for trouble if we do for alcohol as a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. I know that word recovered tweaks people in all the 12-step fellowships because it, it sounds cocky, right? Like, who are you to say you're recovered? It's saying, because it, I think people equate it with cured. This is not about cured. It's telling me specifically it's, I'm not cured. When I say recovered, that's a reminder to me that God is doing for me what I cannot do myself. And if I forget that and I start to think it's me, I'm recovering because of the, of the activities I'm doing, I am screwed. You know, and I, I, I use this example. I've been talking a lot about my ankle with this series, but I, my ankle was really bad. I mean, I, I slipped and my foot was facing the opposite direction. So I broke bones. I had plates and screws. I ripped every muscle and tendon in my ankle. And my doctor told me originally, you may not be able to walk again. And if you do, it's, you're probably going to have a severe walk. And I'm sure you've all seen me. I don't, even have, I don't even have a limp. So I'm not going to tell someone that I have a broken ankle. I'm recovered. I've recovered from that injury. There's, you know, I can't wear high heels. That was very upsetting. My, my, my cute shoes. In fact, Mary Laskowski has a lot of my cute shoes because <laughs> I gave away my shoes. Um, but I'm recovered from that. But I have to tell you, if I don't do my yoga... If I don't do, walk my dogs, my ankle starts to bother me again because I'm not, I'm not recovered in the sense that I, the, the injury is not there. I have to make sure that I'm taking care of my ankle if I want to enjoy the fact that I'm recovered. It's the same thing with my disease. Saying I'm recovered doesn't mean I don't fully concede to myself. I am a compulsive ovary, and if I don't do this step process or if I ingest these foods again, I'm, I, I am a compulsive ovary. I will be back in the, in the gates of hell. Um, 
says what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So this is my opinion again, but I think all 12-step fellowships have watered down this sentence to one day at a time, white-knuckling our alcohol, our food, work addiction, drugs, whatever it is. The big book never says prior to after you've had a spiritual awakening, it's one day at a time. What the book says is, are you licked? Are you done? You know, do you accept that if you're, you're going to have to stop drinking for good, stop eating for good? This is where I have the daily, the daily reprieve. So and going back to Bill's story again, Bill did not recover on the 12 steps. There were no 12 steps. So Bill brought in this book, um, and I apologize if I said this um, earlier in the series, but it just really hits me. He brought in this book, Rise of Spiritual, a Religious Experiences by William James. It's the only other book that's mentioned in the big book. And Bill was really struck with two qualities of a spiritual experience. One is calamity. Anyone come into a 12-step program on a good day? I mean, we understand calamity. But the other was that it was transitory, that it was going to be fleeting. And what Bill came up with is if he could recreate this spiritual experience on a daily basis, specifically by helping other people have a spiritual experience, he was going to be able to get it. Once again, I think that we've watered that down. I can't keep what I'll give or however that saying is. Um, but that's what it's saying, the daily reprieve. You know, I can't, I can't expect to be able to stop the spiritual work today and, and have access to it two, three days from now. Um, now, here's a, a line that I... Well, let me go back for a minute. I often will go back... Well, actually, I'll do this probably more in Step 11, but I go back to other parts of the book and use that as my Step 11 practice because I have a new experience. One of the... Um, the first time I was at the Holy Family meeting in Philadelphia, I remember uh, Chris, Chris saying... He's like, the big book meets you where you are and elevates you from there. And that's why this book never gets stale. So the, when I go back through this book as a recovered woman, I'm having a new experience with it. So I can take different lines from the book and bring it into my Step 11 work. Um, but this line specifically is really good for Step 11 for me. Every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. So I ask myself every day, am I doing this every day? Or am I only doing it every other day? Am I just taking weekends off? Am I saying the holiday, you know, can't do it if I'm on vacation or it's my birthday or whatever? Carrying the, the vision of God's will. Am I carrying God's will in today or am I carrying Kim's will? And how do I know that? I love the line, and once again, using the lines from earlier, step three, even in my best moments, I'm a producer of confusion rather than harmony. If I'm in confusion, it's a pretty good idea that I'm in Kim's will. If I'm in harmony, that life of invitation that Maria talked about, it's a pretty good chance I'm in God's will. And says, in all of my activities. So I have to ask myself, where am I not asking God in? Once again, I'm good at asking God into the big things, but it's the little things. You know, I always think it's that Catholic you know, mentality in my head that God's job is world hunger. He doesn't have time for Kim's hunger. But I, I always have to, you know, there's, there's a, uh, this is not a big book, but I love the saying that the problem isn't that we ask God for too much. The problem is we ask God for too little. And what I mean by that is what I think is, okay, if, in order to be happy, I must marry, be married. I must live in this neighborhood. I must have this type of car. I must have this much money in my 401K. But instead, why don't I just ask God to be happy? That's why I'm asking for all those things. And let God figure out what's going to make me happy. Because I have to tell you, I have none of the things I thought I, I was had my I had my um, 
grade school reunion, like, I don't know, like a couple, like back in April, I think it was. And I just remember being that 13-year-old girl, and I felt 13 when I walked in that room, I have to tell you. There's nothing like walking in. I was, I felt like a dork walking in there. But um, I was really struck with the fact that all the things I thought I needed in order to be happy, I didn't have any of them. I've never been married. I don't have kids. You know, I, all these things I thought, I, I never, ever thought at 13 I could be as happy as I am now. Never thought that. You know, I'm a single woman that owns my own home. I didn't think single women were allowed to do that. You know, I finally have a dog. I wanted a dog all my life, but I waited because I can't have a dog. I, mean, I have to wait till I'm married. And finally at 38, I'm like, I'm getting a dog. And it's wonderful. You know, I mean, I have a master's. You have two. <laughs> I, have, yeah, two. I have a master's. I really thought you go to college in order to find a man. Like, I never thought I could have a career. You know, so if I am asking God just to be happy, joyous, and free and letting him figure out the details of that, I'm happy. When I get locked into, man, you know, my, my job's going through a lot of changes. If I get locked into, my ha this job has to be this way. If I get locked into, man, Overeaters Anonymous is supposed to look this way. You know, or, or, you know, I'm very politically active. If, if people in America don't think it the way I politically think this world's going to suck, that's where I get all jammed up. That's where I, I'm getting into that self-will again. So where are those the activities? Even this, like I said, the small ones. You know, of uh, I mean, I can get jammed up, <laughs> even doing this series, having the change from my 11:15 a.m. yoga class to a 9:30 a.m. yoga class. It's tough for me. I am such a control. I'll tell you another, just another funny thing. How controlling I am. This again, when I, when I was in Howe and you called your sponsor every day and you wouldn't make a decision without your sponsor and. And she was really getting on me about having to program my life down. That's why I loved Hal. It was so structured, and I love structure, and I love being told what to do. And uh, I had my life planned down to 15-minute increments, and she's like, Kim, man, you've really got to be more spontaneous. you got to loosen up, girl. So I did a lot of praying on it, and I called her that next night, and I said, Mary, you're right. On Thursday, I'm going to be spontaneous. <laughs> and I had no idea what I said. I'm planning my spontaneity. So I have all of those activities. God, which yoga class should I go to? You know, what, you know should, should I talk to, you know, what phone calls do I make? I now don't, you know, if somebody comes to mind, I don't question it. I call them. I have no idea. I'm not trying to force who I'm calling. I'm not trying to chase people. But if someone comes in my mind, I'm going to react to it. Um, how can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. These thoughts must go with us constantly. Why? Because I'm constantly going to revert back to the ego. I'm going to constantly revert back to thinking I have to have it my way. I'm going to constantly think that I know best. So if I'm not constantly putting in my head these steps, once again, my thinking will bring me back to the food. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. So we learned in step two that I could be restored to sanity. And now that I'm sane, God's saying, you know what? Have your will back. Go out there, help my other kids. And I don't believe our kids are just compulsive overeaters. It's, it's the you know, people in general. And go for it. I made you. you know, I mean, I think in this instance we're all women, but I think as women we discount ourselves and we stay in the back seat. You know, we, don't, we don't own our own power. I can own my own power in, in this 12-step in this, in this program. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. That's a great prayer. What I have done, too, is if I really like a sentence, I'll make it into a prayer. 
God, I ask to receive strength, inspiration, and direction from you who have all knowledge and power. And then I take that direction when, when it's given me. Um, if we've carefully followed directions, so I have to ask myself, have I carefully followed directions? I don't know about you, but if I'm putting up a shelf from Ikea, I don't read the directions. I put it together, and it might look like a shelf, but you put two books on it, and it's going to collapse. <laughs> you know? So I'm going to have to ask myself, have I carefully followed these directions? And I've begun to sense the flow of his spirit into me. Every time we finish a step, two commonalities I see again is, Next is action and more action. I thought I finished. And there's like action. And it says we've commenced. We've begun. Each of these steps is just the beginning into this step, into this process with our higher power. To the same extent we become God conscious, we have begun, once again beginning, to, to develop this vital sixth sense. We must go further, and that means more action. And with that, I'm going to conclude step 10.